Welcome to the April 19th, 2019 edition of the Crypto.IQ Daily Radio Show, where we do a deep dive market analysis every day and discuss the most interesting stories in the Bitcoin and crypto space. This is your host, Space Marine, live from space. So Bitcoin is at 52.50 this morning. It's around 8 a.m. Eastern United States time. And last night, well, actually yesterday afternoon specifically, Around 4 p.m., Bitcoin won as high as 53.10. And in general, for a lot of the day yesterday, Bitcoin has been trying to push up against that $5,300 to $5,400 resistance level. So basically, Bitcoin's like scraping the bottom of this resistance level. We know from past trading data that the resistance stretches up to at least $5,400. So Bitcoin, if it were to break this resistance level, it would have to go over $5,400 and stay up there. And I think it's going to be quite obvious if it does break this resistance level, since it'll probably happen via a short squeeze. And basically, a short squeeze is when you have a short position and it gets closed out. And when a short position closes out, uh, the trader has to buy Bitcoins to cover the short. And that causes Bitcoin's price to rise. And then when Bitcoin's price rises, it causes someone else to close their short position. They buy Bitcoin, Bitcoin's price rises some more. So basically, if there's a layer of shorts, like there probably is from like 5,300 to 5,400, they all tend to get wiped out at once, causing a rapid price spike within an hour or two. Bitcoin's price can rally hundreds of dollars when you see a real strong short squeeze. That's what I think is going to happen if Bitcoin does break this level. It's trying very hard. Uh, the data from the past three days shows how Bitcoin is steadily going up. Uh, like if you draw a line through the volatility on average Bitcoin is rising and that means there's more buying pressure than selling pressure so the force is with Bitcoin right now basically and we just got to wait and see will it have enough pressure to push up through this resistance level and trigger a short squeeze based on what's been going on since early February I tend to think that it will be able to do this but if it doesn't it seems like there is support First at $5,200, and then there's really strong support at $4,800. But there's really support stretching all the way from like $5,200 to $4,800. So there's a lot of support for Bitcoin. But if there is some bearish sentiment, it could go down to like $4,800 at the worst, probably. Uh, so we'll just have to wait and see. The whole crypto market's kind of like watching and waiting to see what Bitcoin does at this level. And since Bitcoin is lacking direction right now, the market is a bit mixed this morning. But not doing so bad in general. Ethereum is up 1.1% near $174. Ripple is down 1.6%. Bitcoin Cash is down 2.6%. It's right there at $300 now. Still at number 4 on CoinMarketCap, but Litecoin is right behind it. Litecoin has moved up to number 5. It's up 2% this morning. And maybe Litecoin could overtake Bitcoin Cash again. It's possible. They've kind of been like flip-flopping places on the CoinMarketCap ranks over the past week or two or three. EOS is pretty much no on the day, up 0.1% in the past 24 hours. Binance Coin is the big winner of the day. It's at like $23 now, which is pretty amazing for Binance Coin. $3.2 billion market cap. And yesterday they announced that the Binance chain had gone live. Changpeng Zhao sent the first transaction on the Binance chain. And the native coin of the Binance chain is going to be Binance Coin. Up to now, Binance Coin has been an ERC-20 Ethereum token. They're going to migrate it over to the Binance chain. That being said, I think people could still keep their Binance coins in ERC-20 format until they want to use them. So they're not like totally getting rid of Binance coins that are ERC-20. Like Just in case people don't even know the Binance chain is happening, 
and they come back way later, like a year from now, they'll be able to transfer their ERC-20 token version of Binance going over to the Binance chain version. Well, anyways, the Binance DEX is expected to go live in about four days. So the rally continues. People are buying up lots of Binance coin because they're going to need it to use the Binance DEX. So the Binance DEX might be the most important decentralized exchange in history. Binance is the biggest cryptocurrency exchange for spot markets. Of course, BitMEX is probably the biggest, but that's derivatives. So the cool and unique thing about the Binance DEX is it has its own blockchain, the Binance chain, like I just said. And so basically, the Binance chain is like a blockchain for trading run by a really reputable and strong company. And it's actually decentralized, though, but it was created by, you know, Binance, which is a reputable and strong company. So this is like a blockchain for trading where, like, any crypto could be traded in the future. So owning Binance coin is kind of like the way to access this blockchain for trading. So Binance coin has a really bright future, it looks like. It keeps going up a lot. Over the past month for two, it's been rallying a lot, but now it's rallying even more as the Binance Dex launch gets closed. People really want to use the Binance Dex. And just one example is Mithril, which is just like kind of like a small cap crypto, announced that they're going to be the first crypto to migrate to the Binance chain. So Mithril is abandoning whatever blockchain they were on, and they're going to now become a token on the Binance chain. And they have rallied 55% from this news. So. They're only at a $37 million market cap even after that rally, but like, obviously this shows that the Binance DEX is going to be used a lot, and people are really anticipating it, because literally, they're not even trading yet, and they're up 55% just from speculation. That's Mithril. So, if we see coins like moving over to Binance Chain and the Binance DEX, we might see big rallies from them, which is like an interesting effect I didn't even think of that was going to happen, but it is happening. So maybe we can expect some more small cap to medium cap cryptocurrencies moving over to the Binance chain now that Mithril has had great success in doing so. Moving on with the rest of the market analysis, Stellar is down 0.8%, Cardano is down 3.9%, one of the least profitable cryptocurrencies today, Tron is down 2.2%, Monero is up 1.9%, in general Monero has been looking pretty good, it's constantly going up a little it seems like even if Bitcoin's not really going up. And I think Monero is like one of the healthiest choices for long-term investment because Monero is like the real, true stealth cryptocurrency, which is something that's needed by the crypto world. In fact, the crypto world was founded based on anonymity. Like Bitcoin used to be very anonymous. Technically, you could still use Bitcoin anonymously with the right tactics and strategies, uh, but there is a lot of blockchain forensics firms now that could trace Bitcoin pretty well, but Monero is like untraceable. So Monero is something that's needed long-term. And I think it's going to be one of the strongest long-term. Same with Dash. Dash is up 0.9% this morning. In general, it's been pretty much constantly going up a little more than Bitcoin. And Dash is very anonymous too because it uses Masternode technology. And Dash is the number one cryptocurrency that uses Masternodes. Just briefly, what are Masternodes? Basically, a Masternode is like someone launches a full node but and they put like a thousand Dash in it or however much it requires. And then when someone sends a Dash transaction, it's mixed through the masternode, and basically it goes through like 100 addresses, something like that, so it gets mixed up really well and it's hard to trace it. And then people that are running the masternodes make money. So there's a big community around masternodes, and the number one for that is Dash, and then also people like using Dash because it's quite anonymous. Bitcoin SV is up 2%, continuing to gain a little following its big collapse like earlier this week because Bitcoin SV was delisted from Binance and Kraken and Shapeshift. And I don't know where else, but probably some more. 
but the biggest one was delisted from his Binance, and that was because of this Twitter fight between like the founder of Bitcoin SV, Craig Wright, and then the founder of the Bitcoin Lightning Torch. So people got upset at Craig Wright, the founder of Bitcoin SV, and then they delisted Bitcoin SV due to this Twitter fight. Might be one of the, probably not the only time in history that something on Twitter, like a Twitter battle, has caused a serious market movement, but it's definitely one of the most notable ones I remember. Tezos is up 6%. It's still going up. It's like going up like a rocket. So Tezos has suddenly become the most popular proof-of-stake cryptocurrency. It's at $1.37 now. It was at $0.40 cents in March. So it's constantly rallying. That's because Binance and Coinbase announced that they're launching a service where users can hold Tezos in the wallet on Coinbase or Binance and then still earn money from staking. So Tezos is suddenly the most accessible and easiest-to-use proof-of-stake cryptocurrency. And so a lot of the proof of stake crowd is like literally buying up Tezos all the time. And yeah, it's just gone up so much. It seems like a little scary to invest in it because it almost feels like a bubble. But who knows? It just keeps going up and up. So that's an interesting one. IOTA is up 0.1%. And then Dogecoin is up 2.7%. Much while such excite. Dogecoin is doing good today. So that's all I have for the market analysis. The total crypto market cap is currently... Hanging near $180 billion, that's 80% above the bear market low. That just shows the significant progress the crypto market has made since the bear market low in December. Uh, there's plenty of chatter now about how December was the bear market bottom when Bitcoin hit $3,100 and the total crypto market cap was $100 billion. I think that's probably right. But that being said, I am waiting for that CME Bitcoin futures expiration. It's one week from now. So in one week, we're going to see the real test. Will this rally continue? Like, we might even see, like, Bitcoin break, shatter that resistance level during the next week and go up a lot more than it is now. But what's going to happen when the CME Bitcoin futures contracts expire for April? Because there is a strong correlation and connection between the Bitcoin market and the CME Bitcoin futures. It's the biggest Bitcoin futures market, and it's, like, the only one now in the United States. And basically, there's a lot of short-selling pressure that's usually associated with CME Bitcoin futures. In fact, when CME Bitcoin futures launched in December 2017, that's when the bear market started. The day they launched, December 17th, was the day Bitcoin started crashing. Well, anyways, uh, some some months the CME Bitcoin futures traders like collectively go long, and Bitcoin's price rallies for a month, and then when the expiration happens, like that's when the rally stops and it crashes because they go short. Is it going to happen this time? We're just going to have to wait and see. Uh, so I'm not going to declare the bear market over until I see literally like maybe a couple of more expirations go by and Bitcoin is still rallying. And I think this is the most critical one to watch, at least for right now, obviously, because it's only one week from now. If Bitcoin's still rallying like a week after the CME Bitcoin futures expiration on April 26th, like if it's still rallying at the beginning of May, that's a really good sign. If it starts crashing... Well, that would be just kind of like a predictable thing that kind of shows CME Bitcoin futures are in control of the market. So moving on to the first interesting story of the day. So we talked about Satoshi's treasure a few days ago, and it's basically like $1 million of Bitcoins being offered to like the best team of people that could find 400 out of 1,000 Bitcoin private keys. And you need all 400 keys uh, to send the 1 million Bitcoins or $1 million of Bitcoins to your own wallet. It's basically like a multi-sig transaction where you need 400 signatures in order to like move the funds. So, 
they're basically using the Blogstream satellites to send out a clue. So if people are listening to the Blogstream satellite at the time that Satoshi's Treasure tells you to, they send you a clue, and then you use that clue to find a location or something like that. And then when you find the location, you get another piece of the clue that you need. Uh, in this case, apparently, people got a QR code that they scan, and like it goes to like a website that says, hey, like enter the passphrase to unlock the key. And... People playing Satoshi's Treasure were supposed to like, literally go to a physical location and find the password to unlock the key. But then we got like a really good hacker here who typed in like the word orbital. And that was just like his guess apparently. And it unlocked the key. So this guy didn't even leave his chair at his computer and he got the key. He like it was Satoshi's Treasure's design. Like you get a clue and then you have to go to a physical location in order to unlock it. And I guess at the physical locations they're supposed to be like a word there like once you find the physical location i'll have a word like orbital which was the like password for the first key so he somehow typed in orbital he just had intuition that the password was going to be orbital and then he got a congratulations sign that he found the first key and then he realized that the url for like the first key was satoshi treasure.xyz slash k1 and then he's like okay i'm gonna type in satoshi treasure.xyz slash k2 and lo and behold I was like, hey, type in the passphrase to unlock this key. And then he did it for K3. And it was the same thing. And then he did a dictionary attack. He went through, like, the whole dictionary. And he got the next two keys. And the clues for these keys were not even released. Like, So nothing was even broadcast over the Blockstream satellites for the number two and number three keys. And he literally just, like, built a program really quick, apparently, that did a dictionary attack. So it went through all the words in the dictionary, typed them all into that website, and eventually it hit the right word. And he got three keys now. So no one has literally gone anywhere physical for the first three keys. I guess maybe someone might have been, like, traveling to find the first key. And, you know, it was pointless because a hacker literally got the first three keys without going anywhere. But that being said, Satoshi's Treasure is kind of like a responsive thing. That there are humans behind this. It's not all preset. And they said the difficulty is going to go higher and higher as, you know, people do stuff. So in this case, someone hacked the website. And it's actually a good thing because now they're going to make it, like, that much harder. They're probably going to force people to go to somewhere physical for the fourth key, I guess. They could do that literally by making the passphrase for the fourth key just something that's, like, a very complex string of letters and numbers. So there's no way to, like brute force attack it that being said i could see hackers probably are going to be like hacking this website satoshi's treasure.xyz they're going to be hacking it every way they can in order to try to get an advantage so i hope satoshi's treasure.xyz has good security and if they don't well they said they're just going to keep increasing their difficulty level so we might be like hearing stories in the future about how someone hacked the website and got a bunch of keys and stuff but that being said someone needs 400 keys before they win the challenge so this is really interesting to watch. It's becoming like a hackathon where the, the best hackers in the world might be like doing everything they can to like hack this website. Moving on to the next story. So there's a presidential candidate named Andrew Yang. He's apparently running for president on the Democratic ticket. So the Democrat Party for 2020. So I know a lot of people are probably sick of elections. It seems like they never stop. Well, there's another election like in about a year and a half from now for president where Donald Trump will be running against like a Democrat, basically. So Andrew Yang is not from an obscure party. He's going to actually try to run against Trump with the Democrat ticket. That being said, it's I don't think it's very likely he would even get like, the nomination, but who knows? 
like it's too early to speculate. Well, anyways, Andrew Yang says like he really supports Bitcoin and he's gonna make the regulations a lot more clear and try to stimulate like blockchain and cryptocurrency growth in the United States. So very quickly, Andrew Yang has become like the top crypto candidate. John McAfee, uh, the guy that ran away to the Bahamas on his boat because apparently the IRS was about to indict him for not paying taxes for a decade, even though he's making tremendous amounts of money. Uh, well, John McAfee was running for president on a cryptocurrency ticket. Uh, his uh, election, or whatever you want to call it, his campaign, has kind of turned into like a party or something in the Bahamas. Like I check every once in a while to see what's going on. He's just kind of like posting videos of them getting drunk. And it's not really much of a campaign right now. Um, well, that being said, Andrew Yang is pretty serious. He is running for the actual Democrat ticket, while John McAfee is running for like no particular ticket. I think he has his own party or something like that. Well, anyways, uh, Andrew Yang, not only does he want to do like make Bitcoin more adopted in the United States and use blockchain technology, which would be very good for the crypto space, he also wants to give every American that's over the age of 18 a $1,000 per month universal basic income. And I did the calculations, like, there's like 300 million Americans. I guess not all of them are over 18. There's probably maybe like 200 million that are over 18 at least. So that's at least like $200 billion per month paid out to people just for existing. And so that sounds really good. Imagine $1,000 per month, like, you know, that would basically make it so you barely have to work and you could still pay a pretty high rent and get food. So you could have, like, a small job where you barely work, just do a few days a week of work, and then, you know, you've got your universal basic income, and boom, you know, you're good to go. Well, there's a couple problems with that. First, people would be, kind of tend to be lazy and have, like, I don't know for sure, like, what exactly would happen with the economy, but if people are barely working because they're all getting free money, maybe the economy wouldn't be as good. But besides that, just the fact that it's like 200 or $300 billion per month of universal basic income being distributed to all the Americans, well, that's going to destroy the U.S. dollar. Like, the government cannot afford that. Without a universal basic income, like, there are some people getting, like, Social Security disability and Social Security regular and, you know, food stamps and stuff. That's much, much smaller than if everyone got $1,000 per month. Uh, because there's not that many people on those programs relatively. So the government's already, like, very in debt. It's, like, over $20 trillion of federal debt for the United States. And, like, already the U.S. dollar's in danger of, like, inflation and maybe even hyperinflation in the future without a universal basic income. I think absolutely if there was $200 billion or $300 billion being distributed per month to, like, everyone, it would totally destroy the U.S. dollar. Like, the government's already way in debt their budget is not balanced by far there's like almost like another trillion dollars of debt added per year that's literally the budget right now and this would be like 200 billion times 12 it would literally instead of like a trillion dollar deficit per year we'd be talking about like a three trillion dollar deficit per year instantly and then the u.s dollar would start rapidly losing value so that one thousand dollars per month it would be good like the first month people get it they would really get their thousand dollars and be happy but then after maybe like a year or two of this happening uh, that $1,000 won't be worth much anymore because the U.S. dollar will hyperinflate. Well, here's the interesting thing. It's almost like Andrew Yang is, like, conspiring to make Bitcoin, like, the global currency. Maybe that's what he has in mind. Like, first off, of course, giving $1,000 to everyone is kind of like a bribe to vote for him. But beyond that, um, if the, he really got elected, which is really unlikely, it's probably not going to happen, but uh, then Bitcoin 
would like go up in value tremendously because the U.S. dollar would collapse. So if he's first saying, hey, I'm going to make the laws better for Bitcoin and blockchain and crypto. And then he's saying, I'm going to destroy the U.S. dollar. In other words, he's saying he's giving everyone $1,000 per month of income for free. That's also saying, hey, uh, let's destroy the U.S. dollar and then Bitcoin would just take over the world. Well, that's just kind of interesting. Moving on to the next story. So FinCEN, which is like one of the big... It's called the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. It's one of the big regulators of the monetary system in the United States. They have been deeply involved in crypto since at least five years ago. They require everyone that trades cryptocurrency to have a money transmitter license. And I'm not talking about like trading on like Binance. I'm talking about like peer-to-peer dealing. So if you're selling cryptocurrency for like US dollars and vice versa and acting as a money exchanger and a peer-to-peer dealer, uh, FinCEN requires a money transmitter license and full regulation and compliance. And even if, like, every time there's a transaction over $10,000, uh, a person must, like, file with FinCEN and report exactly what that transaction is. Well, we have someone here. His name is Mr. Powers. I hope it's Austin Powers, but it's probably not. But anyways, his name is Mr. Powers, and he did, like, $5 million of Bitcoin trades or something like that, and 200 of them were over $10,000, and he was not registered for anything. And uh, so in the end, he got a $35,000 fine from FinCEN and he has agreed never to be a money exchanger again or a money transmitter in any way ever. I think he got away good here. Uh, I think Bitcoin dealers that trade peer-to-peer in bulk probably make like 10%. So 10% times $5 million, that's like $500,000. He only got like a $35,000 fine. Uh, This is notable though because it's the first time that FinCEN has like done anything to like regulate a bitcoin dealer in the past we've seen the department of justice uh taking down bitcoin dealers and the department of justice usually targets people that are doing like a lot of money laundering and it's often less than the amount that mr powers has like transacted like even if someone transacts like a million dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars we have seen cases where the department of justice sends them to prison and it's interesting because in this fence statement about mr powers they say he was routing people through the Onion browser, so he was using Tor for some of his transactions. And they also like explicitly say that Mr. Powers did some business that contributed to the Silk Road. So it sounds like, first off, Mr. Powers has been around since the early days, like the beginning of Bitcoin dealers. And also, uh, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if there's going to be further action in this case. Uh, and the Department of Justice is going to jump in now because he's been highlighted by FinCEN. Uh, or maybe they're just saying that, like, speculating that he contributed to Silk Road. Who knows what's exactly going on here. But just anyways, the story is this is the first time that the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, which is, like, they're heavy into the regulation of cryptocurrency because, like, that's the place cryptocurrency dealers go, like, if they want to be legit and they get the money transmitter license. In this case, Mr. Powers did not, so he's the first one ever to get fined by FinCEN. And I don't know if this is going to lead to more action from the Department of Justice or not. So that's all I have for you today on this April 19, 2019 edition of the Crypto.IQ Daily Radio Show. Come back tomorrow for another exciting episode and go to Crypto.IQ 24-7 for the most interesting stories in the Bitcoin and crypto space. Also join that Crypto.IQ trading desk. They made 314% profits since July, even in the worst of the bear market. And if you join the Crypto.IQ trading desk, you can see their trades in real time with a full trade analysis of each trade just by reading the Crypto.IQ 
traders trade analysis you can become an expert crypto trader but also you can ask the crypto.iq traders questions in real time and they'll answer your questions pretty quickly so the crypto.iq trading desk is the best way to become an expert and profitable cryptocurrency trader this is your host space ring signing out i remain in space